Hi, everyone. Welcome to Pitch Count, the new fantasy baseball podcast hosted by Chris and myself, Pete. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. Now, uh, we're going to go through the top 30 fantasy baseball starters going into 2020. And obviously, it's very early uh, to do so, but nothing between now and then other than signings is really going to change anything. Um, So I figured it's a good time to get rolling on this and what better uh, position to start with than starting pitcher. Um, I introduced a new stat last night. I'm still working on the name, but I call it ACE score, Um, which is basically I take your quality start percentage and multiply that times your K per nine and then divide that by your FIP doubled added to your whip. Now that probably you weren't able to follow and that's okay. Um, but it's based on our league, World Series of Fantasy Baseball, and I wanted to take uh, some of the categories that are most important to that um, and try to figure out exactly who best fits our league and who are the better pitchers in our league. And I only applied it to who I had ranked in my own personal top 30. So, Chris, as I introduce this score, I mean, I'll, I'll introduce the first four guys. I consider this the top tier of starting pitchers heading into 2020. I think most people do. Um, and that's Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, and Jacob DeGrom. And that's the order they came in uh, for the A score. And Garrett Cole blew them away. Uh, what were your top four, Chris? Any any differences there? Um, I don't think I had anything different. No, just the order of them. Um, I went with a little bit more of a, um, sort of a narrative-based or gut-feeling-based kind of ranking system for my top four. I actually have Garrett Cole at number four behind all of them. Um, And that's only due to the fact that we don't know where he's going to land. I have major concerns if he ends up at Yankee stadium, that seems like a big likelihood. Sure. I mean, I, I I actually have been predicting the Yankees to sign him for a while. We know Cashman was in on him back when he was on the pirates. um, And thank God he didn't go there Uh, because I think Houston kind of turned around his career. He was obviously great when he got called up and then uh, coming back from those, those injuries, really wasn't himself with the Pirates and what pitcher really is. They're a disaster in terms of developing pitching. And Houston is the polar opposite of Pittsburgh. I'm sort of confident that whatever it is that Houston taught him, he'll be able to carry with him. Um, I don't think it's likely he returns to Houston. They obviously have a lot of guys coming up that they need to sign. They're already on the hook for a lot of players. Um, I apologize for that notification. Um, but I think Garrett Cole translates through no matter where he goes. I definitely understand the trepidation though, because I think the other three have more of a track record in terms of being an ace. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I just feel that all three of those guys have done it multiple times. Um, and if Cole ends up at Yankee Stadium, I just don't know if that ballpark and his game kind of mesh together. He's a power pitcher. He pitches his fastball tops out at like 97, 98 sometimes. And you can hit a fastball out of Yankee Stadium. So that's only my trepidation until we figure out where he goes. I might jump him up to number one by the time season starts, you know, if he signs with, or if he resigns with Houston or if he signs in a more pitcher friendly ballpark, then I'll jump him up to one. But for right now, until that kind of settles itself, I'm going to keep him at number four behind all three of those guys, Max Scherzer, Jacob DeGrom and Justin Verlander in that order. 
Sure. It's, it's tough to argue against any of those three guys. Um, I do have some concerns about Max heading into next year. Um, you know, he only made 27 starts, which sounds kind of silly to say, because 27 is a good number for a lot of guys, but this is a guy who we've kind of viewed as a horse. He missed quite a bit of time and towards the end there, he wasn't quite as good. He definitely had flashes of his typical brilliance in the playoffs, but given the opportunity to kind of remind us of who he is, um, there were still some, some shaky outings there. Uh, so I have a little concern about Max, um, but nevertheless, clearly the A score had him uh, as still one of the three best pitchers in baseball. Yeah, I mean, we didn't even get a complete Max Scherzer season, and he ended up in the top 10. So it's just, you know, he's always going to be reliable until he's not anymore. I think until he retires, you know. Sure. And, and you know, I, I'm not going to disagree with that. I mean, I on the spot, who knows, maybe I would end up taking Scherzer um, first overall among pitchers next year. Now, Verlander is the last one I kind of want to talk about. I think we all have the same expectations for DeGrom. I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he's going to continue to churn out ace worthy production, but there are some real concerns with Verlander leading the league in in home runs or close to it. I mean, his whip was ridiculous. 0.80. Um, you know, his XFIP was 3.18. So I don't, I mean, maybe a little bit regression due to the home runs from his 2.62 ERA could be expected. I do think he's he's most likely still going to be an ace, but between the age, I think he's going to be 37 next year. His BABIP was just 218. I feel like that's going to have some regression um, in the home runs. All of that combined are a little bit concerning, and he definitely, like Scherzer, was not his dominant self in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think – I mean, I have Verlander behind um... – both Scherzer and DeGrom. And the only reason why I do is because of the home runs. And I really just do not expect another 0. 0.80 whip season. I think that that's kind of what cat he was number one on our player Raider last year over Garrett Cole. So, you know, I, I don't know with the amount of home runs that he gave up. I just don't see that kind of season happening again. Sure. It's, it's like Max Kellerman with the Brady cliff, right? At some point it's, it's going to trend in the wrong direction. Um, yeah, I just, I, mean, I don't want to be Scherzer. So, Right. Right. And I mean, Scherzer, you're right. Only a year younger than, than Verlander. I just don't want to be the last guy, you know, holding the potato there. Um, the next two on the ACE score after that big four. Now, normally Chris Sale is involved in the big four and, and it's a big five, but we'll, we'll get to him shortly. Obviously some concerns there, but the next two, both Indians, uh, Shane Bieber and Mike Clevenger and trying to figure out which one you would want over the other, particularly in our format that counts, um, strikeouts per nine innings in quality starts as well as wins. Um, I don't know if there's that much of a difference in these two in terms of their quality start output, but it definitely seems like Clevenger might be more of a strikeout pitcher. I would say that that's uh, um, undeniable actually at this point, uh, just in terms of what we've seen from both Bieber and Clevenger at this point in their careers. My Issue is I believe that Clevenger is a little bit more prone to injury than Bieber is. I think Bieber is going to be a little bit more of the workhorse of that kind of starting five um, as years go by. And I just have issues with Clevenger based off of his health record. Um, other than that, I think he's a phenomenal pitcher. And especially in our league, he's somebody that is probably undervalued every year. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. I mean, the, the back injury, obviously, with Clevenger last year was concerning, and I think he came back for two starts and then ended up back on the IL. Um, my concern with, with Bieber is he lives maybe almost too much in the strike zone, um, and that showed with his hard contact rate. He was a guy who got hit really hard last year. I was looking at the number. I believe he was in the top 10 in balls that were hit over 95 miles an hour. 
And that's a category led by guys like Mike Leake um, and Brett Anderson. So first I do expect a little bit of regression there. I think he's a great pitcher. Um, and it's not necessarily a bad thing to throw a lot of strikes, but last year may, we may look back and say, Oh, wow. 2019 was a career season for Shane Bieber. Yeah, that's true. I think that that's just as valid as a, of a point as what I bring up. I seriously wonder what it will look like if the landscape of that division changes, if there's more hitters that are introduced into the teams in that division, let's see like what Shane Bieber's numbers are going to be like living inside the strike zone to better hitters. That division's not that great. So for right now you can pitch inside the strike zone. And as long as you work that first pitch um, strike, then you're going to end up getting a lot of guys out. That's a great point. I know last year going into the season, I was trying to target AL central pitchers just because those Royals, even the White Sox going into the year, obviously, you know, Moncada had a pretty nice year. Their lineup might be on the up and up. Um, and the Tigers, who are just an embarrassment, worst record in baseball, and I definitely don't expect them to get much better. That's a unique opportunity for you to feast upon, especially towards the end of the year when there's a lot of division games and you're hopefully in the playoffs and you have a guy like Bieber who maybe has a two-start week against like Detroit and the Royals. We've seen it, stuff like that can single-handedly win you playoff matchups. So it definitely is a division to, to target. So number seven on the list, we, we do get to Chris Sale. Um, now, the ace score doesn't count ERA at all. If you remember, that's, that's all about, uh, for the ratios anyway, K9, FIP, um, and whip. Um, and Chris sale was, was great in all three. And the one thing I want to bring up, uh, regarding him was yes, the 4.4 ERA and the inconsistency drove us crazy. And his quality start percentage was only 52%, but his X FIP was 2.93. I mean, he had a great whip too, but a 2.93 X FIP that I believe is third on this list among the top 30 starters, including a better X FIP than Justin Verlander and Jacob DeGrom. Yeah, actually a better XFIP than everybody except for Cole and Scherzer. Yeah. So the question of him, with him, of course, is health. And I don't think there's really a way to answer that question. He kind of ducked reporters at the end of the year, um, didn't share any details about it. And uh, I, I think he had two meetings with Dr. James Andrews. And so to have two with him, the bearer of bad news, and still not be having Tommy John gives me some sort of hope that He's going to overcome whatever this is, build up his strength and return next year. But nevertheless, um, we know he had his problems at the end of seasons, even before he got to Boston. He's mm -hmm. also going to have problems at the beginning of the season and his health is unreliable. I don't know if I'm going to take him over guys like Strasburg, Kershaw, Morton, who have been sort of reliable the last couple of years. Yeah, I actually have Chris Sale as number 10 on my list um, only because everybody behind him, I could not think of drafting before him and also because if you can get three quarters of a season out of Chris sale, then that's probably going to be top 10 value if he's healthy and if he's throwing well. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. Um, you know, the win potential with the Red Sox is always going to be pretty high and one has to assume they'll address that bullpen in some way. Um, and I guess if we're taking someone as talented as Chris sale and ranking him in the seven to 10 range, then you are baking in sort of enough risk there. Um, to make that plunge the next three um, all veterans uh, now I had to use Corey Kluber's 2018 numbers because obviously he didn't accumulate enough stats to really give us a decent answer there but Corey Kluber's 2018 would have ranked as uh, the eighth best season according to the his ace score um, 
I don't have him ranked eight, uh, but because that's where he's falling in the A score, I, I feel like I, I should include it. Um, he's a guy who's a seasoned vet. Uh, his velocity should still be there, um, but he missed a lot of time last year with that broken forearm. And then it, I can't remember the other injury he had that ended up shutting him down for the year. Whereas Strasburg and Kershaw after him just seem to be the most reliable players um, in this, this particular tier. Yeah, I'm big on Strasburg this year. I actually have Strasburg as my number sixth overall pitcher. I think that we now can, or we've now seen the full potential of Steven Strasburg, and there's no reason for us to question why he couldn't give us another season of that at this sure. point. The last couple, I, you know, he made what 33 um, the rest of the year, and I, I thought he was in the 30s last year as well. So the early injury woes of Steven Strasburg, I hopefully are, are in the rearview mirror. Yes. Now, Kershaw's playoffs, I should say Kershaw's lack of playoff success once again this year, were you at all going into 2020, or is it more of it was just the same Clayton Kershaw? Um, he's a new pitcher now. He continues to put up good ratios, continues to be a workhorse. I mean, 28 starts going into last year. We knew he was going to start the year in the IL. People were avoiding him like the plague, um, but he ended up turning in a pretty nice season. So where did Kershaw fall in your rankings? I have him number 23 overall. Um, I have him behind guys like <laughs> Lance Lynn and Sonny Gray. Um, and I think it's for a very specific reason where all right. If you go into the 2020 season expecting Clayton Kershaw to produce another 28 starts, then you have to expect some kind of regression downward. He's no longer a high strikeout pitcher. Um, there are times where he just looks lost, which is something that I've never seen from Clayton Kershaw. I think that it's time to start viewing him as a top 20 to 25 overall pitcher rather than a top 15. Wow. Okay. Well, in our league, you know, strikeouts mean so much where we not only count strikeouts, but we do count strikeouts per nine. And among these 30 starting pitchers that I rank, he's one of maybe like five guys that didn't have a K per nine in the double digits. Um, so I understand that the trepidation there and, and the injury risk, right? I mean, these guys with back issues, sure, he gave us 28 starts, including some playoff starts uh, this year, but should we expect the same thing next year? Can we really just say his back issues are now in the past? Kershaw's back? I, I don't know about that. Yeah. So it's like one or the other. That's why I think I have him so low or what it seems to be so low is like there's two outcomes in my mind. Um, either he gets hurt and he misses more than however many starts he missed this year. And he has like, what, 20 starts on the year or um, conversely, he continues to get about 28 to 30. But I don't think that. I think that is he's in the regression phase of his career. So you have to expect if he's going to give you 30 starts, there's probably going to be a downward trend in the numbers slightly. Sure, I think that's a, that's a fair way to look at it. I mean, he is only, you know, 31 years old, might be 32 next season, but you're right. I mean, it, should we expect it to get better from here? Well, it did for Verlander. It, it kind of did for Scherzer. I mean, he was just kind of this dominant throughout, but that doesn't mean it happens for everybody. Right. And neither of those guys, uh, we're dealing with the back problems that Kershaw did. Um, so we don't want to, you know, beat the 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 Kershaw thing to death here. Um, but he's definitely an interesting player heading into the 2020 season. 
And we all know about your Dodgers too, right? They're going to shut him down even if everything is fine for at least a couple of starts. So there's some risk baked in there as well. Um, the next four guys, all very different. I mean, you can, you, you can pick one and talk about one if you want. Um, but the next four in a score after Kershaw, Corbin, Morton, Castillo, and Giolito. I love all those guys. I think that they're going to be poised for uh, building off of their numbers last year. Sure. I mean, Corbin ended up just being such a tremendous signing for, for Washington, a huge part of their success. He continued on with what he did the year prior. Um, that slider is, is devastating. Charlie Morton, um, he's a guy I've always kind of had a red flag about because of how he ends seasons. It's never as dominant as how he begins them, almost like a, a little bit of a Chris Sale there. Um, but it's tough to argue with the results. Um, you know, 33 starts, uh, an ERA of 3.05. That's backed up by the XFIP right there at 3.28. He is reliable. He gets the strikeouts. It's the next two that, that really stick out to me um, that I wanted to talk about in this tier. Castillo and Giolito. Um, we can start with Castillo. He was tremendous last year, but I have some concerns. Whenever his, if his changeup is not on, uh, he gets clobbered because guys can wait on it. His pitch count will climb. Uh, it's shown because, it, I mean, his quality start percentage was just around 58%. Um, so only every other start was a quality start from a guy who's going to get Cy Young votes. Um, I like him. He, he's probably only going to get better from here, but I would like him to, to solidify a third pitch there. Um, because the fastball changeup combination is only going to get him so far. Yeah, I think that that's the difference between he finished number 15 on our player rater overall for starting pitchers, and that's the difference between start or like ending up there or top five. If he gets that third pitch, he could easily become top five. He's got two excellent pitches. He just needs something else to mix in every once in a while. And if I, I can't remember if it was if it was a um, – if it was a two seamer or if it was a curveball, but he's, he's trying to, and he threw it more this year. I should have the link up in front. I of believe me. it was the curveball, um, but it might be wrong. Okay. Um, and it was there, but he, he went away from it a lot um, and relies so heavily on the changeup. Now that changeup, maybe the best pitch in base. Well, the best pitch in baseball might be a little dramatic, but it's up there, right? I mean, Garrett Cole's fastball, Chris Sale slider, Luis Castillo's changeup, all incredible pitches. I'd put him that pitch in that class, but man, if that thing is not, not generating the swings and misses Castillo, just the pitch count is too high. Uh, and the next guy, Giolito, um, who was just a savior for me this season, obviously it didn't result in a title, but he was fantastic. He has some concerns as well. Um, there was talk early on that he wasn't good against better lineups and that he was just taking advantage of that aforementioned AL central. Um, I didn't think that was the case. He was a guy who threw a complete game shutout in Houston. So uh, I don't think it matters so much the lineup. I think it's, it's more him just producing on a more consistent basis, but I think it was after, after maybe mid July or something like that, he had an ERA over four. Um, so calling him an ACE might be a little premature here. I was surprised by his ACE score. Yeah. I, I'm surprised to see that because of the second half numbers, like you said, but, I don't know. He ended up exactly in the same spot that he ended up in our player radar. Did you notice that? I didn't. I haven't even looked at the, uh, at the player radar spending so much time on this, this yeah. score. He ended up 14th on your score. And he also ended up 14th on our player radar in terms of starting All pitchers. Right. Hey, good news for the score, man. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's big. Um, but 
you know, I think that it just shows exactly where a pitcher that has one good half and one not so good half can end up depending on how good the first half really is. Right. I, I would have been lost without him in that first half with how, how abysmal starting pitching was last year. Absolutely. He was what? Um, like, he was like top four pretty much for the entire first half of the year. Yeah, he was. He was tremendous. I, I can't remember if he started the all-star game or not, but I know he was in conversation too. Wow. Um, uh, yeah, I, I can't remember. Um, next is, is one of the more interesting guys for me going into next year because it was a contract season. He's over 30 and out of nowhere, he not only has the best season of his career, but he absolutely, um, I mean, he, he has a chance at winning the Cy Young and stealing it from DeGrom. Hyunjin Ryu, um, 32 years old. He was unbelievable. 2.41 ERA, 1.01 whip. Uh, the strikeouts were not there. Um, he wasn't even a strikeout in inning, which hurt his value in terms of his A score, which is why he's a guy who's going to get Cy Young votes if it finished 15th. Um, where are you on where, Ryu? Were you higher, lower? I have him smack dab in the middle of 15. I, I feel like I've been saying this a lot, but I tend to think that that's going to kind of be the same thing that we're going to see. I think that we're going to see top 15 to top 20 kind of numbers from Ryu wherever he goes because he has a five pitch arsenal. And I think that pitchers that have that many pitches, they're a little bit easier to squeeze into any ballpark because they can start to work around hitters. And he just has a great eye for what hitters can and can't hit. It doesn't necessarily matter that he gets the strikeouts. You still like he's the lowest and it's not even close 8.03 out of all of the people that are around him. That's pretty crazy. To get that yeah, low, you're right. I mean, still get top 15 overall kind of um, value. It's crazy. It is. I mean, it, it definitely speaks to you know his xFIP, his WHIP, which which were both tremendous. Um, he made. If I had to guess, this has to be the most starts of his career with 29 starts. Um, his BABIP is believable at at, at point. 278, you know, he wasn't helped out too much by that. And his quality start percentage, 76%. Um, he's a guy who every four starts is giving you three quality starts. That's huge in our league, especially with how rarely it is to find pitchers that consistently go into the sixth, seventh inning. Um, clearly by not punching out as many guys, he's keeping the pitch count down and going deeper in outing. So I agree that the big arsenal uh, should translate. We'll see how much he gets paid and where. Uh, there's definitely some spots where I'd have a little bit of concern that there might be regression, but I think you're right. I think he's, he's probably going to hold up to the end of that 15 to 20 range. I just don't see any of the guys below him on your list or, well, actually I think Walker Bueller's due for a huge step forward, but um. Yeah, maybe except for that. I see him being better than all the guys below him. Um, Granky, Sonny Gray, Aaron. Well, maybe not Aaron Nola, too. I don't know. Maybe I think maybe a little bit of regression because you also don't know where he's going. Kind of the same thing as um, Garrett Cole. So if I'm going to stick to that there, I should stick to that here. Um, sure. Yeah, you just don't know where he's going to go. So maybe expect like top 20 to 25, not top 15. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's fair. We, we know this can go either way. There's definitely, there's, there's three guys coming up that I would without a doubt take over Ryu. Um, so remember, I mean, this, this is for the listeners. This isn't my rankings. This is the a score of the 30 pitchers I picked as my 30 best. Um, but as you mentioned, Walker Bueller uh, coming up in a couple spots, the next two in a score were Jack Flaherty and Walker Bueller. And I would without a doubt take them over Hyunjin Ryu. Um, 
Jack Flaherty's second half was just incredible. I don't know how much time we really need to spend on it, um, but he was he was virtually untouchable. He he was a disappointment in the first half, if you remember. Um, he was actually terrible. He looked like a huge bust. He was taken in the first round. I think he was taken in the first six picks of our draft. Um, and keep in mind, everyone, we're a three-keeper, so he wasn't taken in the first round. It was the fourth round. But no, nevertheless, um, a 2.75 ERA, a whip under one. Uh, the XFIP was a little bit high. I'm, I'm willing to bet that has to do with the bombs he gave up in the first half, though. Uh, he is a guy that can be prone to walks. We saw that in the year before. He was one of the league leaders during his rookie season. But in 33 starts, he went out there every fifth day, gave you an excellent K-9 um, ERA and whip to finish the season. He he won people leagues this year. Yep, he absolutely did. He finished seventh overall, and, you know, he was terrible, like you said, in the first half. Um just again, proving that like half a season's worth of like, you know, Scherzer's numbers is still really valuable in our league. Even if a guy's struggling, doesn't mean you should cut bait on him. Absolutely. Um, and unfortunately, I think some owners did in the trade market, but uh, those that held steady got a huge boost from Jack Flaherty. And I'm looking, he is the second or third youngest player on this top 30. Uh, so for a keeper league to lock up an ace like Jack Flaherty, um, particularly, again, a guy who goes out there every fifth day, 33 starts. That would be huge. And the next guy, Walker Bueller, your Dodgers. I'll let you take this one. But if I was to rank these not according to a score, but according to my rankings, I would have a hard time putting Walker Bueller any lower than eighth. Where do I have him in my rankings? I have Walker fifth, actually. I have him right um, after that one through four list. I think that out of anybody on – the list that's below him, he has the highest likelihood of success because he has three pitches that he throws as all strikeout pitches. And and he's got guts, man. I mean, he's a guy who goes late in the games. He's still he throwing mid nineties. Yeah, um, and he's, he's a stud. The thing is, he can strike out like eleven or twelve guys and still go seven or eight innings. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've, we've seen that multiple times this year that the double digit uh, in 2019, the double digit strikeouts. The one reason if we're wondering, well, why was he so low on the A score? Um, it was his quality start percentage was only 57 percent, um, mm-hmm. which considering how the Dodgers sort of treat their pitchers, um, you know, really cautiously, almost babying them. Uh, I'm not too surprised that, that Bueller's quality start percentage was that low. Uh, I would be surprised if it's not significantly higher next year. I expect a big step forward, as you mentioned, for for Bueller. Yeah, I mean, I think that I would tend to agree with you about the Dodgers. They tend to err on the side of caution uh, with their pitchers, and that's just saying it lightly. But I think that they let Kershaw be Kershaw when he was as dominant as Bueller looks like he's about to become. So I have hope that the Dodgers will let their ace be their true ace and run them out there for 33, 34 starts and um, let them go deeper into games. I think that those times that he didn't go deep into games, they were playing it a little bit safer. Uh, maybe they could have let him go another batter or two, but I think that as he starts to build on his youth, they're going to let him go longer and longer. Absolutely. I mean, I, I definitely agree. Um, I see that sort of comparison there. They did let Kershaw be Kershaw. They're going to let Bueller be Bueller. I mean, we saw that in his rookie season in the World Series after he'd already made a substantial amount of starts uh, for him, given his previous workloads. And, and he's working into the seventh. And he, I think he, he might have pitched eight innings and got their only win against the Red Sox in the World Series in 2018. So they're clearly willing to let him uh, open his wings, hopefully 
uh, that continues into 2020. Now, Severino, I, I really want to talk about. I had to use his 2018 numbers just like Corey Kluber. Um, yeah. Because obviously he missed pretty much the entire season. It's just the date kept getting pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. And all of a sudden he's, he's out almost the whole year. Um, his 2018 season, I don't know if you remember, but his second half was atrocious. Um, he was he was horrible. So I think that hurt his numbers a lot, which is why his A score from 2018 only puts him at 18th. Um, it still doesn't mean, though, that I would draft him that high. I think there's a little bit of of risk there. There He definitely showed flashes upon his return this year of being the old Severino. But that was that was a long time uh, to be out. And I, I just have my concerns with a guy who hasn't pitched like an ace in over a year. Yeah, that definitely seems to be, um, you know, very relevant. And when you're drafting uh, Luis Severino or keeping him, I don't know. Is he going to be kept this year? Uh, that's a good question. I think Paul has him uh, yeah. and he's a big Yankees fan, but I would be surprised with Alvarez Bichette. And um, I can't recall his, his third keeper. I think uh, it's Glaber Day. Glaber, Glaber, yeah. So uh, probably not with, we'll make it interesting to see where he's drafting in our league, but I feel like 18 on the A score, it, sure. It looks good, but I don't, I don't think I'd be taking him nearly that high. Yeah. I mean, he kind of, isn't he sort of like a, a version of Luis Castillo. He, he has like the two pitches that he really relies on in the fastball. And um, I can't remember if it's a slider or a changeup. He, he has a, he has a very good slider, I believe. Yeah, so he kind of relies on the slider and the fastball. Um, and, you know, we saw with Luis Castillo, when you have those two pitches ending up somewhere in the top, like, 20 is where you should expect them, not necessarily up there in the top 10. Right. And I, you just you have to bake in a certain amount of risk um, yes. with a player who's just missed that much time. I mean, you just have to. Yep. Um, following Severino in terms of a score – uh, we've got a couple of veterans, Granky and Gray. Um, thoughts on these two guys? Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to share my thoughts on Zach Granky. Um, <laughs> You'll notice he finished with a higher A score than James Paxton, by the way. Yeah, well, good, good. I'm sure that's just uh, that seems right. I mean, he also ended up numbered. What was it? He was numbered. Sorry about this. I don't know why I'm. Are you looking at the player radar? I am. Yeah, I'm trying to find where oh, he he's going to be very. He's going to be very high. Yeah, where is? <laughs> it's like funny. I can't even see him. Um. Well, while you look for him, I I'll, I'll talk about yeah, him a little bit. I mean, he's another guy who is getting up there in age, but he is maybe the least concerning player when it comes to his older age because he throws maybe the slowest in baseball. I'm pretty sure he was the, he had the slowest fastball in baseball by like a, a hefty margin. Um, but it, it almost doesn't matter. I mean, we, he almost won them the world series in game seven there. If they just left him in, it, he's a horse um, 2.93 ERA. Now the XFIP was a lot higher than that at 3.74. Um, but the whip under one thirty-three starts, he is, as I said, going into the season when we had the disagreement about Granky versus Paxton, one of the most reliable pitchers in baseball. Now, as we said with Verlander and Scherzer, you don't want to be the last guy holding the bag there. But I'm not concerned about that with Zach Granky, particularly where he is now in Houston with what must be the greatest 
pitching coaches uh, in the sport. Um, I expect them to continue to get high-quality production out of Granke. The win potential is going to be great in Houston, certainly better than it was in Arizona. Um, you know, uh, it's reasonable to assume he's going to he's going to maybe go up in ERA and whip because instead of facing a pitcher or a pinch hitter once every nine batters, he's going to be facing a DH. Um, but he's he's awesome. He's low on the, the A score because his strikeouts per nine is only eight point oh seven. But he finds ways to get guys out. If you want to balance Granky and grab a high strikeout pitcher um, in the draft a little bit later. Uh, maybe you can get back to back like a like a Granky Paddock combo. Unlikely, but that would hopefully balance it out. Even though actually Paddock's K nine might be a little bit lower than some people expected. But Granky's awesome. Get, He's reliable. You could easily get like a Granky U Darvish combo and just kind of like have them form like a a fusion Super Saiyan. That would be actually a great combination of flares. The strikeouts with Darvish um, in in the you know, you hope Granky can absorb the hit and whip uh, that you might get from you, Darvish. You, Darvish, might just be a uh, super saiyan to put it in your terms on his own. Yeah, um, that's he true. Was, that's true. <laughs> He's he so was, good. In the second half, of course. In the first half, once again, yeah. he failed me and then I traded him and became a god, but that's okay. Uh, Sonny Gray. Oh, by the way, sorry to interrupt you. I just wanted to let you know that Zach Granky ended number sixth overall. That's why I couldn't see him, was because he was so far up. Right, because you were probably thinking there's no way someone with his K9 was as high as six, but um, just he was just so good. Yep. Right, it, it really does. Um, there, there's more than that one category. Um, Sonny Gray, coming up with a higher A score than names like Jose Barrios, Noah Syndergaard, guys that we thought were just shoo-in. Well, Barrios maybe not, but uh, shoo-in aces. Like Syndergaard and Nola, who we also finished higher than. What an enigma. Sonny Gray is. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, where did that K per nine come from? He's never had that. I honestly, I I would be curious to look up the numbers outside of Yankee Stadium. Um, in no, 2018. At, at Oakland, I'm telling you, at Oakland, he did not have that strikeout rate. Oh, I believe it. But yeah. it, he seemed like a new man um, yes. last year. His control was just so much better. I mean, a 1.08 whip. I don't have the walk rate in front of me. Um, he is a guy who sometimes doesn't go too deep in the outings. He can be uh, going for the swings and misses maybe a little bit too much. That's why his quality start percentage is only 55% and, and why his A score was low despite the tremendous season that he had. Um, but he's still only 29 years old, so he should be just entering maybe his prime uh, or at least definitely in the middle of it. Uh, and it definitely seemed like as well, based on his comments even earlier in the year, that he's a new pitcher now. Um, I think the Yankees wanted him to throw his slider for a strike, um, but he likes to keep it a little bit out of the zone, and it showed. Um, he was he was outstanding last year. So I'm going to I'm just going to take a quick look at the pitch arsenal between last year and this year for Sonny Gray because he has six pitches registered for 2019. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not sure how, I mean, I know he's a, he's obviously a fastball heavy pitcher, um, but uh, you know, he's, he's got a slider. He's got a, a cutter. Well, he used to have a cutter, yeah. um, but curveball. he really uses change. But I mean, this, if you look at the difference between the speeds, he throws his fastball 93 miles an hour on average. Um, his slider comes in at 85 and then he's got a change up at 90. I mean, he's, he's all over the place. 
Um, but somebody I'd definitely be looking at next year now that he's escaped the the droves of Yankee Stadium. Yeah, so he hasn't added a pitch it uh, pitch at all. I just I wanted to take a look because I thought six pitches that seems like kind of a lot. But you know, he probably only throws five with regularity. I would imagine. Yeah, well, I mean, there was an uptick in his fastballs. There was a decent uptick in his his slider, and he completely abandoned the cutter. Um, the cutter he really only threw with the Yankees. Um, so I'm curious the story there. Um, but whatever the case may be, uh, he found his his magic sauce in Cincinnati. I don't know if I would draft him based on his 2018 numbers. I feel like it might be reasonable to assume some regression based on years past. Um, but he's definitely a guy I'm looking at as a, as a solid number two. Definitely. He ended 21st overall on our player Raider. And, um, you know, unless next season he starts off with like 10 starts in a row where he shows you that the strikeout numbers aren't going to be where they're at. I think that you need to draft him in that top kind of like 20 to 25 range. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now the next guy on our list um, in terms of a score is another guy similar to Walker Bueller. Um, and a little bit more to Jack Flaherty, who, despite his A score, uh, and remember, that's really only based on 2019 numbers, unless you're Severino or Kluber. Uh, he's somebody that I'm going to be drafting. I would be drafting much, much earlier than his A score ranking of 21, but that's Blake Snell. I'll be keeping him, so I would have to agree with you there. The, the, the number that sticks out to me the most with Snell isn't the fact that his XFIP is almost a full run lower than his ERA, which is obviously a good thing to see. And not only his swinging strike rate, which is astronomical. It was, it had to be up there with Garrett Cole, though. Once again, I unfortunately don't have the number in front of me. His BABIP was three forty three. That yeah, is not that. going to be the case next year. No, That's just no. not going to be the case next year. No. I, I mean, what would you reasonably expect from Blake Snell? What was his BABIP in the past? I got to look. Um, I don't, I don't know how reliable it would be. I mean, I would, I would definitely look at his Babbitt for 2018, at least. I mean, his Cy Young season, I know that he had a tough start to his career, um, but he's a guy who is incredible on the mound. Um, I think yeah. he ran into a lot of bad luck last year. It looked like he was figuring it out. And then of course ends up on the IL. Um, but he's, he's a guy I'm absolutely looking at drafting, uh, Obviously, I won't be able to in our league, but but going forward in, in 2020 drafts. So, yeah. So last year, his BABIP was at 343. His Cy Young season, it was at 241. Obviously, that was going to be a, a heck of a lot lower, but that just goes to show you that it really is like 100, over 100 points lower. And in his bad season in 2017, it was still only 277. Right. So, he, I mean, that's that's bound to have some positive regression yeah um, so even if you're not buying snell as a cy young candidate i think that it's safe to say that those numbers are not reflective of the pitcher that he is his k percentage in 2019 went up from his 2018 k percentage so i i, I have <laughs> no so i would confidently draft him as as an ace i would um but that's blake snell he pitches in one of the best parks if if Oakland, if the Coliseum is the best park to pitch in in the American League, uh, then Tropicana is not too far behind it. So I'm all in on Blake Snell next year. I'll have no problem drafting him as my ace in uh, 2020 drafts. I think he's due to bounce back in, in a big way. Now, the next guy, I feel think? pretty. What do you think? Do you think top 10 or not? 
Blake Snell. Um, yeah. I'd, I'd, uh, it'd be tough. He's going to be, he'd be competing with names like, cause I, I would probably still take sale over him. Um, I would probably take Clevenger Bueller over him as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, he's, he's going to be competing with names like Strasburg and Corbin and Morton for that, uh, that spot in the top 10. Um, so to give you an answer, sure. I'd, I'd put him in my top 10. All right. For our league. Anyway, the, the K percentage is just, just too high. Yeah. Now I there is the concern that they don't let him go deep in the games and that's going to be a problem for us with quality starts. Um, but there's no reason. I mean, he's 26 years old. There's no reason why that still can't also go up. True. True. I have him as number nine on my list, right in front of Chris sale, only because we know that Chris sale is going to be entering the year unhealthy and Blake Snell, I feel is a similar pitcher. And we've, I think that there's no injury concerns going into next year. Yeah, that's, that's a fair way to look at it. Um, the next guy I feel pretty strongly about uh, Brandon Woodruff, who was awesome. He had that unfortunate oblique injury, which, Actually, it was the second oblique injury of his career, and we know how devastating oblique injuries can be for baseball players. You know, a lot of herky-jerky motions, a lot of reliance on that core. So I'm not saying that's not without concern, but he is only 26 years old. Um, I could talk about Brandon Woodruff for a really long time, but I will say that I will be viewing him as a top 25 starter going into next year. Um, he was a horse. When he was healthy, he was a horse going deep into games, still throwing like 99 miles an hour in the seventh, eighth inning of some of his outings. Um, he's a guy I will be targeting. I'm not saying I view him as an ace yet. I think we still need to see a little bit more. Um, I know his CSW wasn't uh, as impressive as you would hope, despite introducing uh, a two-seam fastball. You're supposed to generate a lot of ground balls. His ground ball percentage actually decreased. So there were some weird things with his season last year. But I think the overall take is that he's good. His XFIP was lower than his ERA. I think he ran into a little bit of bad luck, a BABIP of 320. I'm excited yeah, about Brandon. I was going to bring up the BABIP. I, I took a look at his numbers from years past. He was under 300 for pretty much his inter- entire career uh, before last year. I think that would explain why his XFIP is at 336, whereas ERA is at 362. Right, exactly. Um, you know, he he's a guy who also needed to develop a, a third pitch. Um, and he did introduce that, that two seam fastball. He does have a slider, um, in a, in a rarely used curveball. So I think the arsenal's there. He's young enough. He had a good season last year. I would be looking at him maybe ahead of our next guy. I it would be a little bit aggressive to take him ahead of this particular player, but Aaron Nola, um, kind of another guy with a tail of two seasons. Yeah, definitely. Um, so he ended up with nearly a four ERA, um, despite having lower BABIPs than like Brandon, Brandon Woodruff and, uh, Blake Snell, who, you know, Woodruff ended up with uh, a lower ERA than him and Blake Snell's wasn't too far away from his either. So there's some serious concerns about Nola and I don't know what to make of him. Yeah, he was a little bit of a mystery on the season. It, it was one of those, you know, he gives you a couple bad outings and you're like, what is going on? And then all of a sudden he gives you a monster outing and you're feeling pretty good. I've got Aaron Nola back. Here's my guy who almost won the Cy Young last year. Um, and then he would just just be atrocious. And the weirdest part was he made 34 starts. He pitched over 200 innings. He was out there uh, and he just couldn't figure it out now. I know his second half was better, and he definitely seemed to have figured things out, um, which is a positive sign for owners. But I don't know if it was enough 
to bring back our faith to take him among those top 10 arms. Yeah, I mean, he ended up below guys like Madison Bumgardner, Erod, um, Soroka ended up quite a bit ahead of him, uh, Mike Miner. That's those just are guys that he should be outperforming. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And the, the hard hit percentage was at 42%. So he was another guy that was getting hit pretty hard last year. Um, you know, look, the game's different. Everybody's swinging for the fences, everybody's swinging really hard, going for the hard contact rate. Um, but nevertheless, he's, he's going to need to adjust some of that stuff. What we can take as a positive is, you know, his ex-FIP was lower than his ERA, was lower than his FIP. So, um, you know, maybe there's – certainly there's hope for Aaron Nola. And his, his strikeout percentage is caper now is the highest of his career. Um, just kind of a weird season. I don't feel quite as good about him as I do about Blake Snell. Um, but I, I guess I would be okay taking either next year. They're still so young. You, you'd feel comfortable taking them as your aces in our league? I would feel comfortable taking Blake Snell as my ace. If I if I have to take Aaron Nola as my ace, then no, I'm not comfortable. But as a high-end number two, sure. But I, I, I would want some other horse just in case he turns out another season like he did last year because a 3.87 ERA is is not not what I want from my my ace. And certainly the next guy on ace score um, was maybe the most disappointing player of the season outside of like the obvious Jose Ramirez guys. Uh, Trevor Bauer was – horrible yeah um so i owned him i kept track of him all year there's a lot of talk and mainly coming from him about how he was hurt all of last year um dealing with a variety of injuries throughout the entire season he just said that he was never comfortable pitching um that big blow um that big um game where he had like the the meltdown on the, on the mound and like threw the ball to center field or something like that. He said that he was just like not feeling anywhere near a hundred percent. So you have to think maybe, you know, there's no reason to expect Trevor Bauer to be as bad next year as this year. Right. Pete, what do you think? Uh, I mean, no, I, I, I worry about what's going on inside of his head. Yeah. Um, that, that's always my concern with Trevor Bauer. Anytime, you know, you have a pitcher who missed a playoff game because he was playing with a drone, you should be a little bit concerned. And he tinkers. Uh, this is something that's talked about in a lot of circles where, you know, he had a, a, one of the best years in 2018. Um, it seemed like every time he went out there, he was going not only deep into outings and throwing like 140 pitches, which is maybe part of the problem, um, but he was, he was churning out great outings with a lot of strikeouts. But for whatever reason, he went away from the curveball and he gravitated more towards the cutter, um, and the results were not nearly as good as they were before, but the velocity was kind of the same. So is it a change in his approach to hitters? I don't know, um, but there is concern. Uh, the K percentage went down. The walk rate went up, um, and, and again, I worry about what's going on inside of his head. Um, with him. He, he seems to change too much week to week. Yeah, I think that even my report on the injuries like kind of has to do with that. Like if he's not maybe those injuries aren't even necessarily like physically that ailing um or ailing him that badly, but like just maybe the mental toll of it is too much for him. I don't, I happen to think that he's better than what we saw this year. There's not really any indication in the numbers like, you know, like you said his xFIP is 4.33 whereas ERA was 4.48, you know, that doesn't show any regression um in the good way that you'd want, but I happen to think that he's a little bit better than what we saw this year. Is he top 10? No, I don't think so. Especially not in Cincinnati's ballpark. 
but is he top 20? He could be. He could be again. Yeah, uh, particularly in our league that counts strikeouts per nine um, because exactly. he still gets the strikeouts despite the the decrease. And you're right. I mean, if he reported the injuries and, and there's no reason not to believe him, um, mm-hmm. then that could be a concern. But that could be something that carries over into next year because he's another guy who's who's a horse. Uh, he made 34 he had starts. Start. Yeah, in, in 34 outings. That's that's a lot. Uh, and he had to be among the leaders in innings pitch, I would assume. I think he was the leader and not even close. I, I think that it wasn't even close. It was crazy what they would do with him. He would give up seven or eight runs and they would still let him go to the seventh or eighth inning. Yeah, I think I think there was something weird going on there in Cleveland between him and Francona. Um, yeah. But he was hurt and he just threw 213 innings while hurt. There's some concern there, um, but without any kind of news, you know, there's no way to tell. We'll have to see how he looks, how he looks. In the the volume, I think the volume just gets you there, you know, sure. and you just kind yeah. of gotta hope that he's feeling better next year than he was this year. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said for a guy who's going to go out there every fifth day. Like we've mentioned, I, I'm a big fan of the, the 200 inning guys that are still around. Yep. Um, now we've got some disappointments, some guys who, these final six for me, and I apologize for all the notifications going off there, but these final six for me are uh, could almost go in any order, but we'll take the next two. Uh, we'll chunk them out. Berrios and Paxton. Who would you feel more comfortable with drafting going into next season? Hmm. I would have to say Berrios. Um, I, I have a big hesitation in drafting Yankee pitchers same way that I have a big hesitation in drafting Rockies pitchers, but obviously Yankee pitchers are more talented than course pitchers for sure. Um, I would just say Barrios, his numbers on like the batted ball side of things, like his BABIP is lower. Um, his um, ERA is lower. His whip is lower. I think that it's a better um, ballpark to pitch in. And I think that if you're going off of injury history, Paxton is the one that's more of a red, a red flag. I would definitely agree with that. Um, Paxton, that quality start percentage under 50%, it just has to be, as a Yankee fan, devastating. Um, when yep. you see what Corbin did in Washington and what Paxton did for you, um, there were definitely flashes of, ah, here's here's James Paxton, here's that that guy that some people drafted as, as aces. I think you got more of that from Barrios last year. Um, Barrios' stuff doesn't really blow me away, though. He's a contact pitcher. Um, he does have a low hard contact rate, which which helps. You know, I think I think that was uh, it was under thirty seven percent last year, um, which is good. But Minnesota, as we've seen, is becoming more and more of a hitter's park. Whereas you know, Target Field when it was first built, we said, "Oh, it's definitely a pitcher's park," um, which may not be good for someone who generates as much contact as Barrios does. Um, but he's another guy who goes deep in the games most of the time. Um, he'll occasionally have the strikeout outings. He is the type of pitcher, though, I do avoid because of the strikeouts. His K per nine last year uh, was definitely not in the double digits. Yeah, I mean, we're almost in Zach Greinke territory with an 8.76. That's concerning for us. Um, but 14 wins, it's a good team, 32 starts, over 200 innings. Um, again, I know I say it with almost all of the guys that, that fit this, this description, but these players are rare. 
Um, it seems like we have a lot of them because we're going over the top 30 starters, but it is tough to find the 200 outing 30 plus start guy who's going to give you close to ace quality numbers. So I'm a fan of Varios. Do I want him as my ace though? Not with those strikeout totals. Yeah, but I don't want either of them as my ace, to be honest with you. I'd much rather have them be like the second half of a hole. You know, you have a high K guy with Barrios or you have a workhorse guy with Paxton. Maybe you oh, put absolutely. them both together. Who knows? That, yeah, like that, and that would maybe be a, a potentially good combination because Paxton's uh, K9 was was up over 11. We all know he has great stuff, yep. um, powerful pitcher, but the durability, he's not getting under. He's already on the wrong side of 30. Um I, I would much rather have Berrios than Paxton. I would not want either of them as my ace going into next year. Whereas the next guy, I mean, if you got to take a shot in the dark, the next guy on ace score uh, beneath Perios and Paxton was Noah Syndergaard. Thoughts on Noah Syndergaard? <sighs> Another guy that just in, like was an insane letdown. Um, my thoughts on Noah Syndergaard is that where he ended up in terms of his like XBIP and his BABIP and his um, yeah, all like all of the underlying numbers where he ended up is not this, where the story was mid season, mid season. He was kind of like at this ridiculous, like over five ERA, but his uh, XFIP was like below three or something like that. And as the season progressed, and even though like it looked as if he started to get better, the numbers started to meet each other more. So meaning like his ERA sat at 428 for the year and his XPIP is now, or at the end of the year was at 383. Those numbers are much closer together. So you kind of have to assume that he became who he was, which was a less than a less than version of his former self, but still kind of reliable in the second half. The first half was, he was just garbage. Yeah, uh, I mean, what what scared me with Syndergaard is when he was asked, you know, what's going on? What's what's wrong? He said he 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 doesn't know. He doesn't have any answers. He can't get a grip on the ball some nights. Maybe that's the the change in the baseball itself. But it didn't really seem like other pitchers had that kind of problem. Um, there's something off because when you watch him pitch, it almost looks like the same pitcher, but the numbers just aren't there. And the most startling for him might be that strikeout per nine. Um, he's just getting a strikeout an inning at 9.20, whereas he's the type of guy you would expect to be among the league leaders with his stuff. Um, in in the the quality start percentage, it's just 53%, um, not going uh, as deep in the games as he used to, and not being as efficient um, as he used to. Definitely a lot of concern there with Noah Syndergaard. But again, if I had to choose between Berrios, Paxton, and Syndergaard, if my back's up against the wall and I don't have a pitcher yet. I think I'm taking Noah Syndergaard, despite maybe having the worst season out of those three. Yeah, definitely. And something that I just also remembered um, is there was a huge story about him being unhappy with the catching choice behind him, right? Didn't he want like Rene Rivera or something like that? And they kept putting him with um, Wilson Ramos, despite like the the splits between them, you know, Syndergaard clearly favoring somebody like Rivera, even though his bat isn't necessarily good enough to keep in the lineup. So I think that that's a story that might be interesting to kind of follow um, in the, you know, in um, the early days of next season is if they're coupling him with his catcher of choice, then, you know, maybe those strikeout numbers go up. There was a discernible difference between when Rene Rivera was catching for him and when Wilson Ramos was. There was, and if I remember the storyline, I think it was, you know, this was something that was was on everybody's radar. 
Um, and uh, the story came out that Syndergaard was upset with it. His next outing, they still put him with Ramos, and he got shelled. Uh, and I think that's when after the game he came out and said, I didn't say any of that stuff. You know, I, I know Ramos is doing the best he can. I am I'm putting words in his mouth. He was very diplomatic about it. You know, he treated Ramos like a teammate. But you're right. There's there's something there. Be curious to look up the, the numbers, especially if I was interested in, in taking Noah. And then the yeah. final three. Um, the, the final three, we got we got two young guys, exceptionally young, maybe the two youngest guys on the list. Um, and then you, Darvish, who – as we know, I will end up with, of course, uh, and then he will be terrible. He only had 11 quality starts in 31 starts, but I, I'm maybe 10 of those, if not all 11, were in the second half when he was the second best pitcher in baseball behind Jack Flaherty. So you Darvish is incredibly interesting to me going into next season. Um, where'd you have him? Do you have him above Barrios, Pax, and Syndergaard? Where would you be comfortable taking Darvish? I have Darvish exactly at 28. Where is he here? 28? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, 28. Yeah, I have him right. Score. I have him right before my final two, which are Corey Kluber and Otani, um, which maybe we'll have time to talk about. But if not, no worries. I have him at twenty-eight as well as your list. Um, I think that when you get thirty-one starts out of you, Darvish, and he is sitting at an over eleven K per nine, there is no way that that's not going to translate to top what top. at least thirty projected. Right? Yeah, exactly. So where you're drafting him, I think is going to be like where his floor is. So, you know, you could take a potential chance on you Darvish earlier on than where his ADP is at. And you might be like thanking yourself at the season's end. Yeah. I mean, definitely, definitely somebody that's going to be on my radar for, for what you just mentioned. The strikeouts are just awesome. And he's a guy who has shown in years past that he goes deep in the games um, it was really nice to see him make over 30 starts based on how the previous couple of years of his career went um, and, and to have success in a Cubs uniform. It just might have been a corner that he finally turned. Um, you know, there were always suggestions that he he was better than what he was producing. And obviously he was producing at a very low level. So it's not really saying that much. Um, but I agree. Yeah. I, you Darvish, you know, right in between 25 and 30. And, and I'd be comfortable taking him. Now I have. Next, Soroka and Paddock, but you brought up a name that I, uh, and that's who I had for my top 30. They, they finished uh, 29th and 30th on the, um, on the A score. So I don't have the A score calculated for Shohei Otani based on his 2018 numbers, and the sample wasn't that big, but I'm curious your thoughts on Otani, who you had there in the top 30. Um, I think that putting him in the top 30 is a reasonable expectation if we're going to get about 15 starts out of him and four to 500 plate appearances, which I think is the expected plan. Um, I don't know. The reason why I put him at 30 is because I don't know where those numbers would translate in terms of our player rater. I think that they could, they could fluctuate anywhere from 30th overall to like eighth overall. I, I just don't know where to put him if he's really going to get about 15 starts next year, which I think is the plan. Right. I mean, the industry is all over the place. Um, I have concerns about him for 2020 in terms of drafting him with any kind of expectations for pitching, just because he's fresh off the Tommy John. They're so invested in this particular player. Um, I'd be a little bit concerned um, if I drafted him as like a number two or number three starter, even if he clearly has the talent to produce um, at that level. Um, But to have the additional DH function, I mean, there's almost no way to compare it to the other guys on the list. But it is something to keep in mind. He is an absolute fascinating player for next year. I mean, he was throwing his fastball like 100 miles an hour. He had a slider that was up there, too. 
Um, he's got electric, electric stuff. But if it's only 15 starts, how do you weigh that? I think it's, I think it's a great question. Yeah, that's why I think I had to include him in my top 30. I wanted to put him last because we just don't know what we're going to see from him. And, you know, I'm, I'm struggling to remember where he ended up in starting pitcher um, on the player Raider the year that he did pitch. I'm going to try to go back while you're talking about other guys and figure that out. Um, and I'll get back to you. Okay. I mean, it, it couldn't have been too high because I, I can't remember exactly how many starts it was, but I know he got uh, obviously shut down with the injury, but um, there was one more name I wanted to, to bring up and then we'll circle back to Otani when you find that ranking. Uh, and that was Madison Bumgarner. He's a guy who is noticeably absent from my top 30. Um, now his, his a score may have still been higher than some of the guys on the top 30. I only calculated that stat for the guys who I thought were the 30 best. My concern with Madison Bumgarner though, um, his, Hard hit rate. Now, forget about the strikeouts. His hard hit rate. He gave up 243 hits that were over 95 miles an hour. The only person with more was Mike Leake, and he was tied with Ivan Nova. That is terrifying. I know the strikeouts came back a little bit because uh, they were really down in 2018. Um, but he's a guy I think I'm avoiding like the plague. We'll see where he ends up. It definitely seems like he's leaving San Francisco, which might not be a good sign given that ballpark. Um, I have a lot of concerns about Madison Bumgarner um, going into next year. And that's why he was not ranked in my top 30. Yeah, I think that um, you're right to not rank him in the top 30. Um, I think, where did he end up on our player reader? Let's see. By the way, I don't think that there's any way for me to go back and view Otani from 2017. but that being said, I still think that I stick to my argument in saying you just don't know what those – if he gets 15 starts and he gets 400 plate appearances, you have no idea what that's going to translate to on our player Raider. Sure. So and he should, be, he should be on your mind. And in terms of the player Raider, we know how much the player Raider values speed. Um, so not to get too far from starting pitching, but if he gives you 15 outings of, I don't know, let's be conservative and say a 3.7 ERA and we know the K-9 is going to be really high – and he's given you, you know, 350 to 400 plate appearances with decent pop. If he's also stealing bases, which no one seems to do anymore, and he steals them at a high percentage, he very rarely gets thrown out, um, then he is this superstar player um, that is going to be kind of impossible to rank. I don't know how we could rank him going into the season. Yeah, that's why I just had to throw him in there. Madison Bumgarner, on the other hand, finished 23rd overall on our player Raider. And I think that it's because of your workhorse theory, despite the fact that he didn't have as many quality starts as he normally should. And I mean, his actually, actually his K per nine was higher than it has been in most of his entire season, believe it or not at, um, it was over nine. I know that he's strikeout an inning, I think. Yeah, exactly. Which, so it's, it was higher than it, has been in years past which translated to 23rd on our player raider i think that if he he's another free agent right he is that is correct. yeah so that, and I that you can't, you can't even too, right? top 30 based off of that it's kind of like the same idea of what i have with cole and what i have with ryu there has to be some hesitation moving out of san francisco absolutely especially if it's to an american league team like the yankees who that stadium, I wouldn't want to touch Madison Bumgarner in no way. No, no. All right. Well, I think that that wraps up our first episode. Uh, thank you, Chris. Thank you to everybody who listened. Um, we definitely have some stuff to work on, but we appreciate your listenership. Yes, very much appreciated, everyone.